Welcome to Mayo Clinic Q&A. It's May the 6th, and I'm Dr. Helena Gazelka. Thanks to a unique combination of clinical practice, education, and research, Mayo Clinic is uh, uniquely suited to respond rapidly to medical crises, including the COVID-19 pandemic. One example of this is our research task force, which has been formed to oversee clinical trials related to COVID-19. We're privileged today to have Dr. Andrew Badley with us. Dr. Badley is an infectious disease expert here at Mayo Clinic, and he's the chair of the COVID-19 Research Task Force. Welcome, Dr. Badley. Good morning. Thanks for being with us today. We so appreciate it. Great pleasure. I know that you're very busy because I've had a chance to talk to you a little bit about how many trials that, um, that are going on, and it's just amazing to me. We're, we've been uh, inundated with wonderful scientific uh, insight and expertise and proposals, so we're, we're working hard to respond to all the requests. That's wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about the research task force and uh, why did Mayo Clinic decide to form a task force and uh, how do you organize yourselves? Well, so it's a little over eight weeks ago that I received a call one morning from uh, Dr. Sfrugia and Dr. Gores, the Executive Dean of Research, asking me to oversee this task force. And I was honored with the invitation and, and rapidly jumped on the bandwagon. And initially, we were reactive. Um, we had a large number of proposals that we should do trial A, B, and C, and we should do this kind of research, but not that kind of research. And so very quickly, we, we felt it was important to organize ourselves so that we could do sufficient due diligence on every project that came through. We didn't want our projects to be uh, prioritized based on first come, first serve. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we did the best science in the best way and that we coalesced teams with similar interests so that we could move forward with one unified, strong proposal in each of the domains. What that has resulted in is we put together a number of parallel work streams. When we first created it, I think there were about 10 work streams and we thought that's everything we could possibly ever want. Um, but as time went on, we came to realize that there were other things we needed. So currently there are 16 parallel work streams and each of the work streams is populated with content experts. Uh, and they review and prioritize and coalesce teams to make sure that the best research in their domain is moving forward. The kinds of things that we have work streams around are databases and epidemiology and omics testing and artificial intelligence and community health disparities research and clinical trials and everything else you can imagine. That's just amazing. Dr. Badley, is this for the entire Mayo Enterprise? Yeah, so our workforce, uh, our work streams cover all of the enterprise, and we have uh, robust involvement from the Arizona site and the Florida site and the Mayo Clinic Health System. Because of regional differences in practice and uh, differences in being able to access experimental therapies, there are some differences between sites as to what clinical trials are, are active and enrolling. Um, but all of the work streams encompass all of the sites. About how many clinical trials are ongoing at this time, and what are the primary topics or areas that you're researching? Yeah, so in terms of clinical trials, we, there's 800 or so listed on clinicaltrials.gov, so there's a lot to choose from. Um, I haven't reviewed 800 protocols, but I've reviewed a lot. 
Um, and the criteria that we have for selecting clinical trials is broad, um, but in general, we wanna make sure that our patients are safe. So we wanna make sure that the products that we're testing have satisfactory safety profiles in humans. If they're purported to be an antiviral, we want direct evidence that, that um, it, it inhibits viral replication, at least in the test tube. Um, if it's purported to be an immunomodulator, we want to make sure that the changes that you're trying to induce with the therapy uh, counteract changes that we see in patients. Uh, and then we have to prioritize between them. So in Rochester today, we have nine clinical trials that are active or soon will be active. It's our goal to have trials available across the spectrum of disease from exposed uninfected people to early infection, but as an outpatient, to hospitalized, not particularly sick, all the way through the intensive care unit setting. The drugs we use uh, span the range of antiviral agents um, to immunomodulatory agents. We have also had trials on different approaches to the critical care um, of, of patients, so different ventilatory approaches and using steroids or not using steroids. So it's, it's a diverse array of uh, studies that we're involved with. Sounds like there's a lot of collaboration going on. That's really exciting. Absolutely. And, you know, I've said previously and, and will continue to say that nothing at Mayo happens because of one person. It's, it's bringing the teams together and bringing the combined expertise together, uh, which results in a synergy of thought and activity and expertise and hopefully that results in the best clinical care and best clinical studies for our patients. That's wonderful. I've been amazed um, perusing the clinical literature, including Mayo Clinic Proceedings, which I saw came out yesterday at how quickly things are coming along. And I guess my impression um, as primarily a clinician and educator and not as involved in research as you are, is that it takes forever to do clinical trials, to get them approved and performed and then implemented into practice. What's different about COVID-19 that things are moving so quickly? So I, I think there's two fundamental differences. And, and I grew up in the HIV research realm. And if you compare where we are today with COVID to where we were with HIV 30 plus years ago, um, the state of science is so much more advanced today. Uh, back when HIV first came on the scene, of course it wasn't called HIV in those days, um, it took us a couple of years to find out what the virus was. It took us another couple of years to clone and understand the individual viral proteins. Those activities for SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus that causes COVID, uh, those happen in days to weeks. So the, the, the pace of the scientific discovery is remarkably different. In addition, because of decades of sustained biomedical research funding at Mayo and elsewhere through the government funding agencies, we now have a pipeline of candidate drugs that should be able to make a difference in COVID. And so we didn't have to create the drugs fresh, but we were able to repurpose them and realign them for, uh, for COVID use. So that's one fundamental change is, is the different place we are in terms of science and biomedical research. The other fundamental difference is the federal agencies that oversee drug approvals have really stepped up and responded. So whereas six months ago, it would have taken a handful of weeks to a few months to take a protocol that was scientifically approved, get it through the regulatory hurdles and start a trial, um, that now takes days. 
And, and so it's a testament to the uh, regulatory agencies that have sped this up, but it's also a testament to the Mayo Clinic staff who oversee the regulatory and the pricing and the purchasing and the clinical trials coordination. Um, all of those teams have stepped up and are working 24-7 to initiate the trials. And the fastest trial that, that was activated here at Mayo went from an approved protocol to inpatients within a week. That's impressive. Yeah, you know what we all want to know, Dr. Badley, is when. So how soon do you think there will be um, uh, an effective antiviral and even a vaccine for prevention? Yeah, so there's, there's three classes of drugs that we're, we're looking at in, in the COVID therapy space. Um, one is antivirals, one are immunomodulators, and then the third is a vaccine. And each of those have different answers. So in the antiviral space, there are three drugs that Mayo is or will be looking at, um, and there are signals that those may have activity. Everybody's aware of the early data that was announced last week about remdesivir. There will be additional studies released, I think, in the next few weeks, um, and they're showing promise. Um, so the earliest data that we're going to see in the antiviral space, I think, will be in a couple of weeks. And uh, based on initial experience and the initial reports, remdesivir is looking favorable. In terms of immunomodulatory agents, uh, Mayo is involved in three clinical trials of different uh, immunomodulatory agents. Um, they're not quite as advanced in terms of their trial uh, results as, as some of the antivirals, but Again, we think they're going to be active, uh, and so I'd expect that within a few months, we should be getting clinical trial data on some of those agents, and, and I think some of those agents will show activity. So in terms of a vaccine, that's a much more complicated story. So the, the, the premise of a vaccine is you take a viral protein or proteins, and you put it into a human, and immune response occurs, and hopefully that immune response is protective against subsequent infection. There are, at last count, over 110 different vaccine approaches that are being proposed. Mayo's involved in conversations on about four or five of them. We don't have any trials initiated yet. Some of those trials are going into patients now. Others will be going into patients within the next few weeks to months. The primary outcome of those trials will be, does it induce an immune response? And we'll get that data, I think, within three to six months. That is not the same as showing does it protect against subsequent infection. And data on protection is going to take months to maybe a year after the initial trials are started. This brought up a question for me when you, um, and probably some of the public wonders, when you make a vaccine, how do you know if it works with, I mean, it's not like you can just take someone and expose them to COVID-19, I suppose, or the viruses that cause it. How do you know that it works? So, so two answers to that. One is you test it in a relevant animal model first. And relevant animal models for SARS-CoV-2 are monkey experiments and or some mouse or hamster experiments. And many of the lead candidate vaccines uh, for SARS-CoV-2 uh, either have or are undergoing those animal model testing. In terms of human experience, you have to vaccinate a large population not vaccinate another large population and compare the acquisition rates between those two groups. That's why the follow-up and efficacy takes so long for vaccine trials. 
You know, I think most of us think of antivirals as a little bit like antibiotics. Antibiotics kill bacteria. Antivirals are supposed to kill viruses. What about immune modulating agents? How does one work and why might it be useful for um, this infection? I've spent a career thinking about why is it that it is bad to have a virus in your body? And I think that's an important uh, thing to think about. So just having a small piece of protein with a small piece of nucleic acid in your body intrinsically is not a bad thing. But when the body reacts to it in either at a cellular level or a tissue level or a whole body level, that's when bad things can occur. So the virus can cause abnormalities of cells it infects, it can induce a profound inflammatory response, and it can cause organ dysfunction. And the immunomodulators are designed to stop the abnormal signaling that results in the organ dysfunction and or the inflammation. And so it is important to place those therapies at the right point in the course of disease. So it's probably not in the person who is just infected and, and asymptomatic, but by the time they come into hospital and they have fevers and they have inflammatory infiltrates in their lungs, that tells us that there's an inflammatory reaction going on. And that's the time to target the immunomodulators. We always hear that it takes so long to get a, a medication through the FDA, et cetera. This may be sped up in, the t in dealing with this infection. So are there dangers in, in moving more quickly than we typically would? And are we compromising safety by uh, considering doing so? So, so, I, so are there dangers? Yes. Um, do I think we're compromising safety? No. So, so there are always dangers in moving too quickly. Um, but in my opinion, the, the speed that we're achieving now in these regulatory approvals is still balanced with thorough and effective review. And so it, it, it's important that we make sure we do the scientific process, meaning that we, we test agents in a controlled manner with an appropriate control group so we can draw meaningful conclusions. Uh, and, and in my estimation, we're achieving that and, and doing it well. Uh, how long do you expect the work of your task force to go on? <laughs> I have no idea. Million uh, dollar question. Um, there's no end in sight. Um, we're, we're really at the beginning. We now have our work streams up and running and they're running well and efficient and, and the due process is occurring and prioritization is occurring. Um, now comes the execution phase. We're, we're two months into a epidemic that is going to last many, many months, possibly years. Um, so I think that a, uh, an element of the task force will continue for uh, months to years. This is an unparalleled experience that we are living through. Nothing that I think most of us probably ever thought we would experience in our lives and, and so much going on. I imagine it's an exciting time to be a researcher if that's something that you enjoy and have spent your life uh, preparing for and, and, and doing. Uh, absolutely. It's it, it's, it's an exciting time, it's an invigorating time. The rate of knowledge acquisition in this is unparalleled. Um, and and it, it's, it's a great pleasure to work with the teams that we have here at Mayo who are moving this forward so quickly. Well, we certainly appreciate all that you're doing. Just like when I'm trying to futz with my uh, computer or new technology, and when I'm here listening to you, I think, I am so glad there are so many people who are so much smarter than I am in the world. 
And I'm very appreciative of all the work that you're doing, and I'm sure our listeners are as well. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thanks so much for being with us today, Dr. Badley, and thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to Mayo Clinic Q&A. Have a great day. Mayo Clinic Q&A is a production of the Mayo Clinic News Network and is available wherever you get and subscribe to your favorite podcasts. To see a list of all the Mayo Clinic podcasts, visit newsnetwork.mayoclinic.org. Then click on podcasts. Thanks for listening and be well. We hope you'll offer a review of this and other episodes when the option is available. Comments and questions can also be sent to Mayo Clinic News Network at mayo.edu.